The reading of the word uh, comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word word of our our God God stands forever. So what exactly does it mean to be spiritual? So this was the question asked on a a Reddit board recently. I don't frequent Reddit that, that much, but... Um, but I saw this on, on a Reddit board recently, and one person answered it this way, quote, really broad, but I would say it's having an interest in the purpose of life and the pursuit of greater meaning. Not everyone has that interest, and that's okay. People invested in every different form of belief or even non-belief tend to be spiritual. Another person answered, You have maybe unwittingly asked a question that is the quickest and most contentious path to human disagreement. Every answer you get is probably mostly right and wrong. I love it. And then I read another article in the Huffington Post where a similar question was asked. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? And this was the the writer's answer. Being a spiritual person is synonymous with being a person whose highest priority is to be loving to yourself and others. A spiritual person cares about people, animals, and the planet. A spiritual person knows that we are all one and consciously attempts to honor this oneness. A spiritual person is a kind person. Well, needless to say, this is a massive questions, a question with a ton of answers when asked into our culture as as these questions were asked. But the answer is easier to come by than you might think. Uh, But it will require you to go to the Bible for that answer. Would you believe it if I told you that the Bible, and specifically our text today, answers this exact question for us? So even though many would disagree... And I know many who would hear this and go, well, the Bible's not true for me. Um, I'm not sure I believe in Jesus. I don't think he's the only way. So how can you say that that's what a spiritual person is, Kevin? But I just want to be clear, at CTK, at this church, Christ the King Church, we believe the Bible is true, not just for us in the room, 
And then we say, well, whatever works for you out there, that's fine for you as well. No, we believe the Bible is not only true for us, but it's also true for everyone in the world. And that Jesus is the only way, Jesus is the only truth, and Jesus is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So just because someone disagrees, or you might disagree with this, it doesn't make this any less true. And so the way Paul answers this question, what does it mean to be spiritual? Uh, he, does this, he gives us three answers here, okay? One, he says, spiritual people affirm the lordship of Christ. Two, spiritual people are marked by the Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit. And then three, spiritual people are given spiritual gifts. So first, spiritual people affirm the lordship of Christ. So in verse one of of our text today begins this section by answering another question the Corinthians had. So if you remember back in chapter seven, verse one, Paul says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote which tells us that the Corinthians had questions. The, the, the Corinthians were, were unclear about certain things uh, within the Christian life. Uh, and it also tells us that, that the Corinthians were not in rebellion against the gospel, at least not on purpose. They just needed guidance. They needed a pastor. And so they asked questions. So Paul, in this letter to to them, is answering a lot of the questions that they wrote to him about. So just a side note, I I believe this is is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be someone, uh, when something is unclear or something is hard to understand, to be someone who can ask good questions and be okay with the answers that you're given from God's word. And this is for unbelievers, new believers, uh, or, or seasoned believers. Asking questions is a really good thing. So immediately as we begin to begin our, our study of this text, I, I need to point out the use of language here, uh, in verse 1 specifically, because you probably have in your Bible the, the word uh, translated there, or the phrase, you probably have uh, spiritual gifts there. But your Bible probably has, if it's a good Bible, it probably has a footnote next to spiritual gifts that will show you, if you follow down the page, that this phrase can also be translated as spiritual people. Now, just so you know, the titles of the sections in your Bible, because I'm sure chapter 12 is titled in your Bible, in little bold print, spiritual gifts, those are not inspired, by the way. Those are put there for, for helps for us. Uh, the numbers in, in the scriptures, they're not inspired either. Those are, those are put there as, as a help to, to, to us. Paul's letter was a letter, just like you would write a letter. And so everything ran together. So we, he wasn't splitting it up over, you know, 15 Sundays like we do. Now, I, I want to say, too, like, because I, I want to change the phrasing here in, in the text, and I want you to, be, be, to understand that this in no way changes the text theologically. 
We're not going down some uh, rabbit hole of theology that Kevin has by changing this phrase to spiritual people instead of spiritual gifts. And the reason I want, to, I want us to go with the footnote there is I, I do think contextually, within the broader letter of 1 Corinthians, and this is why it's really important to, to look at the context, it makes more sense to say spiritual people here rather than spiritual gifts. So let me show you why. So in chapter 2, verse 13, uh, Paul speaks about the evaluation uh, of what and who is or who is not of the Spirit. So Paul has already begun talking about what is a spiritual person? What is, who is someone who has the Spirit? What do they look like? Which is what he is still talking about in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 here. And then also in several places throughout his letter, six to be exact, six places, Paul uses this phrase that he's using in verse one, uh, now concerning. And he uses it in most cases, in these six instances when it, is, when it shows up in the text, he uses it to speak into these differing groups of people. He's making a distinction between uh, spiritual people and unspiritual people. Typically. Then, in chapter 2, verse 15, and then chapter 3, verse 1, and then in chapter 14, verse 37, Paul speaks specifically about spiritual people. And actually, the section that, that this letter we find ourselves in, which is sort of a, a series within a series uh, on, on the spiritual gift, Paul takes kind of a pause and then gives this whole uh, section in his letter on spiritual gifts. But actually, this section from chapter 12 to chapter 14 is bookended with this idea of spiritual people as well. So in 12.1, now concerning spiritual people, and then in chapter 14, verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or a spiritual person. So we could say, because of all of that, that, that one of the main themes that runs through this, this section of Paul's letter is what, it, what does it mean to be a spiritual person? And since Paul is about to start talking about spiritual gifts, uh, it's logical that he would begin by speaking about spiritual people, the only ones, as Paul says, uh, who receive the gifts, gifts and who can properly discern them and judge them. And then to make the argument even tighter, chapter 13 speaks to the need for mature Christians, spiritual people, to not only exhibit love in everything they do, but to consider love as more important than any of the spiritual gifts. So Paul hammers this idea uh, home that there are not to be divisions in the church. He has been talking about this since the beginning of the letter. There is to be no type of spiritual elitism that, that, that is to exist among spiritual people within the body of Christ. Paul is making this clear. And he says in verses 2 through 3 that there are only two ways to distinguish. There are only two different types of people that you, need to, to, to ha that you need to distinguish in this world. One are pagans, those without the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, and Christians, spiritual people. 
those who have the Spirit of God and live by the Spirit. Look at verses two and three. Paul says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what do pagans do? They worship idols. And Paul makes sure that the Corinthians know that they were these pagans who once worshipped these mute idols. They, they, these, they were pagan people with, without God worshipping idols, things that did nothing for them or could ever do anything for them. This is how they once lived. And so chapter, back in chapter 10, we, we read that a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, was all about the, the temptation of the Corinthians to fall back into idolatry. Paul knows that this is a temptation for them. So he says in chapter 10, verse 7, do not be idolaters. And then chapter 10, for, uh, verse 14, flee from idolatry, run from it, literally get out of its way. Why? Because these are not the actions of spiritual people. Someone who lives by the spirit of the living God, this is not what they run after. They don't run after idols. They don't let these mute, dead idols control their lives. So within verses one through three here, knowledge is, is a theme that is kind of coming up over and over again in these three verses. In verse one, Paul says, I, I do not want you to be uninformed. Essentially saying, I want you to know this about yourself. And so he's speaking to those right here who, who think they are the elite spiritually. They think they are above everybody else. And the reason they think that is because of the gifts that they believe they have. And so they think they are on a, a, on a different level. And so Paul is speaking to these people specifically uh, who think they know everything about what it means to be a spiritual person. And it's not being a worshiper of idols, Paul says, which was their past life, but nor is it defined by what spiritual gifts you possess, which is what they now have come to believe. So in verse 2, Paul points, points to their knowledge of their past lives. You know that you thought worshiping idols marked you as a spiritual person. And, and even in the world today, just like I read from that Reddit post, that many people believe spirituality is, is broad, and if you are even, you know, into crystals or if you're into, you know, uh, whatever sort, sort of uh, things that we have labeled as spiritual, then therefore you are somehow a spiritual person. But Paul says, no, that's not it at all. And so he says to them, essentially, why would you think if, if, you, if, if worshiping idols didn't make you spiritual, why would you think possession of certain gifts would now make you a spiritual person? So the question then remains, who is truly spiritual then? What is the criteria? What does that look like? Well, look at verse 3. 
Paul gives us two answers here. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And so when you're worshiping idols, you may not say the words, Jesus is accursed. You probably never say the word accursed. But if you're worshiping idol, essentially what you are doing is saying Jesus is accursed. And so Paul is saying you can't do that if you have the spirit of God. It's impossible. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So the first answer Paul gives is, is what is a spiritual person? Is the one who speaks by the Spirit of God, the one who speaks according to the Spirit of God. They speak that which is true according to the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, who is sent to every believer by Jesus as their helper. These are Jesus' own words from John 14, verses 16 through 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit's primary task is to point to Jesus. That's his primary task. So so the second answer to what a spiritual person is then is one who, like the Holy Spirit, affirms Jesus as Lord who affirms the lordship of Christ. So if you don't affirm the lordship of Christ, you cannot call yourself spiritual because you're doing the opposite of the Holy Spirit's primary task. You're going against what he is saying. The Puritan writer and preacher John Owen in his book called The Holy Spirit says to this point, the Holy Spirit's great work is to glorify Christ. He is given to us that we too might bring glory to Christ. He comes to show forth uh, Christ's truth and grace, not to speak of himself. He reveals no other truth, gives no other grace, but what is in, from, and by Christ. By this rule, we can test every spirit, whether it is from God or not. Which leads us into the, the second feature of a spiritual person, And that is they are marked by the Holy Spirit or they have the Holy Spirit. Now, even though the Holy Spirit is the third person of of the Trinity, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says the same substance, equal in power and glory, even though he he is all of that, he is often the forgotten member of the Trinity particularly in churches like ours that, that, are, that are reformed theologically and, and all of that, we still tend to kind of put the Holy Spirit on the back burner because we don't want to be, you know, seen as charismatic, you know, or anything like that. And so we get a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. I mean, even in the Apostles' Creed, a creed that we profess here and that we believe, uh, the Spirit only gets one line. And I know that's not what the, the full uh, reasoning behind the that the Apostles' Creed is, is to give you this full, you know, picture of, of the Trinity, but it only says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. One line. But it's important for us to understand, at least at a basic level, a, a, a basic definition of who the Holy Spirit is. <clears throat> because Paul goes on to mention the Spirit in our text 
five more times uh, this morning. And he mentions the Spirit in a way that, that shows that he's directly related to the spirituality of the Christian and the unity that is to exist among Christians, plural. Because to be a Christian, like I said earlier, is to have the Holy Spirit. Paul has already told his readers this in chapter 2. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And then I think as, as we read our catechism questions today, uh, I think these catechism questions uh, answer uh, this really, gives us a, the catechism answers give us a really good basic definition to a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. So what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? That he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. How does he help us? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. So when you feel conviction of your sin, that is the Holy Spirit working in your life. He comforts us. He guides us. He gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. And he enables us to pray and to understand God's word, which means at this very moment, the Spirit is at work. He is here amongst us. He is in you giving you all of these things currently as we speak. St. Augustine said this in his book on the Trinity. He says, The Spirit is the gift of God insofar as he is given to those he is given to. But in himself he is God even if he is not given to anyone because he was God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, even before he was given to anyone. Nor is he less than they because they give and he is given he is given as God's gift in such a way that as God, he also gives himself. And who does he give himself to? To the believer. And this is what we must understand as we begin a conversation on spiritual gifts. Because I know some of you are looking ahead and you saw the title of chapter 12, Spiritual Gifts, and you are so pumped that you thought I was going to give this spiritual gift test and that you were, we were going to figure out where we were at and all that good stuff that's not happening this morning, just to set you up with that. Because this is the most important thing that we have to understand before we can even begin to talk about spiritual gifts and what spiritual gifts we may or may not have. Verse 4, Paul says there are a variety of gifts, a variety of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit meaning that since all gifts are from the same spirit, they cannot be used to show partiality between Christians regarding spiritual status. The Holy Spirit unifies us in our diversity. So Paul says this in three ways in verses four through six. He, is, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, there are lots of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul just wants his readers to be really clear at this moment that just because you have different gifts, 
doesn't mean that you can set yourself up over and above others. All gifts are given by God through the work of the Holy Spirit to all of his people as he sees fit for their good and, more importantly, for the common good. Which brings us to the third feature of what a spiritual person is. And that is someone who has been given spiritual gifts. So now, now we, we are, like I said, we are going to get into the gifts in more detail uh, in the three Sundays after Advent. So we're, gonna, we're pausing after today, uh, and we're going to have four weeks because the Advent season starts this week. Um, and so we'll have four Advent um, sermons. And so we'll get to it in the new year, um, three more Sundays concerning spiritual gifts. But I think today is an important intro concerning spiritual gifts. Because in these verses, Paul isn't necessarily concerned with what gifts the members of the Corinthian church have. He didn't take an inventory and go, hey, what, what gifts do you have? What gifts do you have? He didn't do that. He didn't separate them into categories. He didn't do anything like that. Because once again, Paul's main concern here is unity. Unity amongst the church, unity amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ. And that unity comes with the understanding of what the gifts they've been given are for. Rather than the specific gifts you have, you have been given. Which Paul states very, very clearly in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So really, this third point could be titled, Spiritual People Receive the Holy Spirit, who then gives them spiritual gifts for the common good. It's really what the title of the third point should be, but it was too long. So, so in other words, uh, you are not your gift. It is not your identity. It is not who you are. So I'm, I'm, my, gift, my gifts are, uh, are, are pastoring and preaching. Very obvious to me. I'm sure it's obvious to other people. But I am, I am not my gifts. I could lose my, my ability to speak tomorrow. And then I don't have the gift anymore. So you are not your gifts. It is not your identity. It is not who you are. And on top of that, you are not to misuse your gift or your gifts to elevate yourself above others or to look at someone, someone else's gifts and elevate them above others. Now, there's still the temptation in the church today to elevate some gifts over others. This is exactly what is happening in Corinth. The more public gifts, like pastoring and preaching and things that kind of put you in front of people and your voice is being heard, tend to be elevated tend to be seen as more important than all the other gifts. This is exactly what's happening in Corinth, and it is still the temptation today. So Paul lists some of those gifts that they were holding up above others. He, he says wisdom, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, speaking in tongues, and being able to uh, interpret tongues. Paul, these are all these gifts that, that were being elevated in the Corinthian church. And in our day, in sort of conservative evangelicalism, I'll just say it that way, most of the time, it's an elevation of the gift of preaching or teaching 
And then we take that, that, that gift, which is a wonderful gift to, for someone to have, but we take that gift and we tend to elevate certain preachers and teachers to celebrity status. In her book, uh, Celebrities for Jesus, Kathleen Beattie says, the American church has overall mimicked celebrity culture rather than challenged it. I said, we invited into our, we invited into our church. We, we, we prop ourselves up for that so that we can make the pastor uh, a celebrity or whoever, a, or the mu- person who leads music a celebrity. So we're guilty of this. We're guilty of putting ministry leaders and, and preachers uh, and those with more public gifts up on pedestals. And when we do this, and I don't think we realize this, we auto, it automatically, when we do that, we automatically, it makes us forget about or look upon someone with not-so-public gifts as less important as you or as the person that you are elevating. Now, let's be honest. I think we're all guilty of this. I mean, let's be honest. The men and women who have the gift of administration are not being asked to speak as the main speaker at XYZ Christian Conference coming up in, you know, the new year. They're not headlining that. It's going to be the same old tired guys every single time they show up on, this, on, the, on the conference circuit. Uh, you're probably not listening to many podcasts by people who are gifted uh, with administration or gifts of service. You're probably not seeking those out and passing those around to your friends and family. No, you're probably seeking celebrity pastors out and passing those on to your friends and family. And this was the Corinthians' misstep as well. They elevated themselves and others who had certain gifts and by doing this, diminished others who didn't have these particular gifts. As one pastor said, their worship gathering, the Corinthian worship gatherings, looked more like pageants and the parade of specific gifts overlooked the significance of all gifts. So herein lies the problem, even for us today, to elevate certain gifts is to overlook all gifts. Even if you have the most talented preacher in, uh, in the United States, to elevate that person will diminish all the other gifts, including that man's gift. It will be to your detriment. So the solution then is to first recognize that all our gifts, no matter what they are, are given by the one spirit. We've already talked about that a little bit. Verse four again, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And then in verses eight through 11, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, Paul says. Verse 9, to another by the same spirit, to to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. All these are empowered, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So Paul's point is this. Since they all come from the same source, 
from the Spirit, all these gifts, the many different ones, they are designed to unify and not divide. That's what they're designed to do. They're designed to, to point others to Jesus together. So the Spirit gives gifts for our common good so that, we, uh, so that together we grow in Christ's likeness. So in Paul's other letters, he makes this same exact point. We read Romans 12 um, earlier. I'll just read a, a couple of verses from there again. Paul says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, Paul says. And then Ephesians chapter 4, another letter of, of, of Paul's, 11 through 16. And he just highlights a, a few different uh, gifts here. But he says this, and because I believe that all the gifts have this same purpose as well. And, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doc doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, one body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And that's not just the preachers and the teachers, but that's every gift working together to do this exact thing that Paul speaks of. So, a truly spiritual person then uses their gifts to build up the body of Christ. And every gift has this goal. So, there are many people who work really hard every week using their gifts to see CTK flourish as a Christ-centered, centered, spirit-filled, biblical church every single week. Uh, we, have, uh, we do have men gifted in preaching to, that open up God's word every single week. We have uh, very talented musicians. I was just bragging on, on some of these folks uh, the other day, and I said, I feel like I live in Nashville now because we, sit, we have so many. I know, that's funny, but, but we have so many musicians now. You guys have no idea. When we first started, I had to beg people to come and uh, lead worship for us. I mean, I, I'm not kidding when I say beg. I had to beg them. You can ask my wife. We almost had to use accompaniment tracks where they just play music and we sing. We almost had to do that. But now we don't because we have all these talented and gifted people who pick out biblically rich, uh, gospel-centered songs every single week to, to lead us in worship with. And those who help write the liturgy, these prayers that, that, that are picked out every single week that we recite that, that lead us to the throne of grace. But none of this would happen if we didn't have brothers and sisters giving each week uh, so that we can pay rent 
to have a place to gather. Uh, we have those gifted administratively who organize the budget to allow us to have money to pay rent and to pay me to preach and to pastor. We have those gifted in acts of service who, who set out the communion table every single week, who, who set up the nursery classrooms, who, who make the coffee, who pull the trailer around every single week uh, to, to the back door here. Those who serve in nursery, bringing the gospel to our little ones every single week. Those who lead in various capacities over our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our city group leaders, those who disciple, who shepherd, who do all of that really, really quietly, to our AV guys in the back who, who make sure the mics are on. They're here early, and they're often annoyed, I'm sure, with me and with Stephen and, and, and that, but, but they do it joyfully so that we can worship every single Sunday. And these are all men and women who are gifted and have been given gifts of the Spirit that are different, but we are all working together for the same goal, which is maturity in Christ and the glory of Christ. So this is the picture of many gifts, but one body through the same Spirit working towards the same goal, which is the glory of Jesus. Like I said, we'll get, we'll get into the gifts in more t- detail in the weeks to come. But if you don't understand this first, no study of the gifts, and even the gifts that you think that you possess will ever be fruitful for you or for others if you miss this point. So Paul wants his readers to know this, and I want you to know this. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about what gifts you have. It is not about how important you think you are. It is not about how much money you have. It is not about how, uh, what kind of job that you have. It is only and always about Jesus. And that will be the message that we preach from this pulpit until CTK ceases to exist. So to be a spiritual person then is to exalt the name of Jesus. To be spiritual is to always be pointing to Jesus with your words and with your actions and with your gifts. Because what is significant, what marks someone out as spiritual is not what gift they may have been given, but whether or not they live in acknowledgement of the Lordship of Christ over all of life. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would, that you would give us wisdom and understanding uh, of, of, of the danger of what it looks like to put people up on pedestals to exalt certain gifts over other gifts. God, the danger that that brings to the church because it will break us apart. And so God, I pray that you would protect us from that, one. But secondly, I pray that you would make us into a church where people know their gifts and understand their gifts and that we are all unified around the one spirit who gives us those gifts and that we would be a people who, uh, who are who are pushing each other, using our gifts to maturity in Christ 
and ultimately to the glory of Christ. God, do that in our midst. We pray all of these things in the name of our King, Jesus. Amen.